Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I'm a part of the Gestalt IT community. And each time we meet, we bring you the perspectives and commentary of a group of industry experts and luminaries around a variety of interesting subjects. But unlike your regular podcast episodes, we actually do have a topic, a premise that we stick to pretty directly. So I want to take a moment for everyone to introduce themselves before we jump into the premise of today's episode, starting with Justin. Hi, I'm Justin Warren. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Pivot9 Consultants and Advisors. All right. And Scott? Hi, I'm Scott Driver, uh, IT practitioner in the United States, uh, lover of PowerShell and community and Gestalt. All right. Thank you very much, Scott. And joining us is a special guest from Pure. Andy, will you please introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Andy Stone. I'm the CTO for the Americas at Pure Storage. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, let's jump into the premise of this episode, which is brought to you by Pure Storage. Now, if you uh, spend a lot of time in the realm of security, you've probably realized over the course of the last, oh, maybe year to year and a half, that the nature of the things that we're doing have been transformed significantly. It used to be that all we needed to do was put up a firewall and maybe some sort of a VPN and just uh, tell people to change their passwords uh, every three months or so. And uh, all of our security problems went away. But now we're facing massive new threats. We're seeing actors either backed by nation states or not that are attempting to steal information, maybe for strategic purposes or maybe just to get paid. We're seeing insider threats becoming a much more realistic component of things. And we're seeing those old traditional controls that we've used for a number of years basically fall apart. And it's forced us into a reactionary kind of mode where quite honestly, it feels like we spend more time fighting security fires than we do preventing them. So the purpose of this episode, the premise, if you will, is that reactive security measures are not enough anymore. So I want to open the floor up to to our guests to kind of talk about this, because one of the things that that we do, especially on the Gestalt IT rundown, our weekly news show, is it seems like every week there is a new ransomware story that we've we we're talking about. And I think it's very interesting that companies, especially the ones like Pure Storage, are starting to take a very interesting look at this idea of combating ransomware attacks, not with the traditional method of don't click on phishing links and all and these time these type of measures that we want to use education but instead they're looking at more proactive means like uh doing better data protection and uh, even making immutable copies of things so have we gotten to a point in the security space where just the whole idea of how people attack us has changed so radically that we now have to worry about maybe changing the way that we uh, approach our defenses Absolutely. Uh, as a customer, I, we're a little different than, you know, someone who's running a storage company. But even within that space, we've seen the landscape of security change over the last year. You mentioned insider threats. It's something we've talked about for a long time, but you're actually seeing people getting arrested now. You're seeing crews go out, try and recruit people to subvert subvert, excuse me, that crunchy exterior you talk about, once you're inside the nice cushy soft walls, uh, it's it's a different ball game. And so, yeah, the landscape has changed and, and just, you know, carrying that thread through, 
you know, we're worrying about the outside actors, but now we have to worry about what our folks are doing inside as well. And that's just one example. Yeah, I think it, it's not so much that things have changed fundamentally. It's just that everything that was broken before is still broken. And now we have new broken things to deal with. Um, I think as, as Scott sort of mentioned, the insider threat, that's always been there, but it sort of wasn't as prevalent. Now we've got the external threats as well as that. I think the big thing that has changed is that now it's worth a lot of money. Um, this is how people make a living. The, these groups of, of malware operators, they, they have JIRA. They, they use Agile. Um, they are extremely organized because we're talking about millions and billions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, you figure ransomware is a multi-billion-dollar industry, and and frankly, the the attackers don't even have to be that sophisticated anymore. They can go out and rent ransomware as a service, as a platform for $149 a month. They can go buy credentials via an initial access broker for pennies on the dollar, right? So it really isn't a game of high levels and high degrees of sophistication. It, it rather it's you know bringing the right resources to bear really to you know get the data that you want. Yeah, I would say that that was actually one of the things that I found very fascinating when we started looking at uh, new types of malware like Emotet uh, was not just that the malware was easily deliverable, but that the platform could be iterated on quickly so that when a defense was developed to remove it or to shut it down, that it could then be transformed into something that was different enough to evade detection. In fact, one of the interesting things about Emotet that I saw here recently was that we thought we had gotten rid of it. We thought we had took down all the command and control servers and, and that it was essentially stamped out for good. And it's actually making a resurgence now um, because in, in a lot of ways, similar to an actual virus or an actual infection, um, if we stop looking for it and trying to inoculate against it, it actually makes a comeback because it's allowed to survive just long enough to transform into something that is much more infectious. And, and that, I think, hits the nail on the head there, Tom, is that the way to think about this has changed. The, the way that we need to view this, I mean, we're a couple of years through a pandemic, so we're, we've all had a, a crash course in virology and epidemiology. Um, we started this whole thing by being told to wash our hands. Um, basic hygiene and infection control was a thing that everyone just started getting drilled into you. It's like, well, we've already known this, but now we have this new new threat that's that's getting through the the gaps in our defenses. Quite honestly, the the way that malware and ransomware and and all of these sort of cyber threats work is it's more a public health problem than it is any kind of you know scary military type thing. And so I think the solution is pretty much the same. Wash your hands. It's actually a really good point. Um, we we talk a lot about the fact that there's some basic hygiene that needs to happen inside of an organization. I can think of a situation that came up actually just recently where one of my friends was emailed a uh, a link from his corporate uh, group to uh, click here to take cybersecurity training. But being someone who's actually active in the security space, he noticed that the email that it came from was not a place that it normally should have, even though the content looked valid. So he emailed the uh, the team back and he said, hey, by the way, I just wanted to let you know that I didn't click on any of the links here because it looked like you were sending this from somewhere you shouldn't have. And the team emailed back and said, yeah, our bad, but also good on you for not just immediately clicking on things blindly. So I know that, that getting those basic data hygiene types of um, 
controls maybe isn't the right word, but but like you said, educating the global user base about that is something that's important. Andy, you know, what are some of the ways that you've maybe seen this happening in in some of the customers you've been dealing with, where we're trying to get a basic level of essentially hand washing? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a real challenge to be honest. But I was going to add to Justin's comments and say, you know, look. The pro biggest problem that we face in, in the industry as a whole is that nobody wants to own the IT hygiene program, right? If you walk into a group of IT leaders in a room and say, hey, who wants to own our hygiene program? <laughs> They're going to run for the doors, right? It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. Nobody wants to be on point to own it, right? And so until we kind of cross that chasm and, or turn the corner, however you want to look at it, right? and get people to understand that, hey, this is every bit as important as the new sexy tool that you're trying to implement, we're going to continue to face these challenges. Yeah, Scott, I know that you spend a lot of your day trying to deal with these kinds of threats and, and maybe hoping that maybe the users are not going to click on that link that totally looks fake and you definitely shouldn't respond to that email. You know, what are some of the things that you're seeing from the people that you work with that are, you know, challenging this idea that that hygiene is kind of something we don't really want to deal with? It's a great question. Um, and and you kind of hit on it or before. Um, Calling it basic hygiene, if it was basic, everyone would do it, just like washing your hands. But again, we've had all of these reminders over the last few years, and, and the reason is because folks don't want to do it. Uh, in, you know, I can speak about myself and my friends, but what the folks who are successful in being able to affect that hygiene regimen have strong leadership. It comes from the top. Um, you have to have the buy-in. And... It, you have to understand the business impact of it. Yeah, patching your Windows servers may not be sexy, but it's how you're going to prevent the zero days from coming in. So if you look at it from a business perspective of this is critically important to our operations, maybe it becomes a little more sexy and a little easier to get the buy-in. Well, I, I think there's another point too, and that's that patching systems isn't what it used to be, right? It used to be that you would patch something and everything would break. Nowadays, if your applications aren't developed to be resilient to patching, you probably shouldn't have them anyway, right? And so we need to get past this notion with the business that, oh my God, if you patch a server, something's going to break. Move on and, and you know get into to modern days. Yeah, Andy, that, that brings up a, a good point there is that a lot of this isn't actually up to the users. It's up to the vendors. Um, links are for clicking on expecting people to not do the thing that it, the thing is actually for, like as an industry and as an IT industry, that's on us. It shouldn't be this easy. I mean, we, it's not like this is a natural phenomenon that came into being all by itself. We built this stuff. It's our fault that computers are so broken. So it's on us to fix them. It's on us to go and create systems that aren't as fragile, that, as you say, when you patch them, they don't immediately die. And we've made a lot of progress on that. But there's still a lot of things which are, it's, it's far too easy to fail. And we need to make it easier for people to succeed. I was what? thinking about just that point as uh, we were getting ready for this, Justin, that, you know, if you think about the development of the internet, it was there to share information. You know, early educators who were on the, on the early net resisted any authentication methods in some circumstances because it was all about sharing information. And now you see the pendulum swinging. And I guess my question for you guys who are out in the broader industry is, 
how far is that pendulum going to swing towards a crunchy, not just exterior, but interior? And, and, and when, when do you see that coming back into harmony? I mean, from my perspective, it's not until applications are really built to consume the right privilege data, right? I mean, authentication as a core control is one piece, but you, you have to move things back a layer. Uh, you really have to rely on authorization. So making sure that whoever is authenticated is the right user, they have the right access for that point in time for the action they're trying to perform. And until you start to get to some de degree of granularity like that, you're going to continue to have these these issues, right? So um, authentication is, is nice. Um, I think it's a good starting point to, in order to prove someone is who they say they are. But beyond that, it, I mean, from an application perspective, it doesn't do a lot to protect you. Got from broader industry, I think that there's two bits. There are two main drivers that for change happening. One is it's really expensive now, and it's highly highly likely that you'll get hit by something like ransomware. So ransomware has been one of the best ads for data protection ever, because it means that it's not something that you can ignore and hope that it will happen on the next CIO's tenure. Um, the other part is around regulation. The, because again, I'd say that certain parts of the industry have failed so abysmally, um, particularly around data privacy. Um, Various legislators are stepping in and passing regulations like GDPR that require both individuals um, and companies and vendors to lift their game. And from what I can see globally, the push for greater regulation, particularly around privacy, is just increasing. So we're going to see that pressure happening as well. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, as an industry, we can work to get rid of passwords. I think that's a great step, by the way. But it's not a panacea. It doesn't fix all the problems, right? The, there are still ways to circumvent. There are still ways to elevate and, and move laterally, even with those controls in place. But, you know, we need to start making steps that take the user out of the middle of being the, the control surface. And I think that we're actually starting to see that shift in the market. And it's something I wanted to get your perspectives on as well, because Scott brought up a really interesting point. When you look at a lot of the protocols that were developed in the early days of the internet, and I'm saying the early days, like the late 70s and early 80s, a lot of them just assumed a basic level of trust with other people. Um, SMTP is a perfectly good example. Um, it was used to exchange messages. And the first thought that everyone had was, well, why would anybody ever want to pretend to be anybody else? That's just dumb because we're all university researchers and military people, and we would never do anything like that. Fast forward to today, and I can pretty much, if you left me an open relay somewhere, I could pretend to be anybody that I wanted. And and a lot of people who are using, uh, leveraging email as a, an infection vector are, are profiting from that effectively. So the question that I have then is, as Scott said, the pendulum is starting to swing back the other way to this idea of zero trust, where I just assume that everybody is bad. And until you can not only authenticate yourself, as Andy mentioned, but also look down this list of authorized things that you're allowed to use, um, you know, is that something that's going to help us prevent things like ransomware from being able to spread across the network as rapidly as it does because I've effectively limited my, my uh, for lack of a better term, blast radius by saying that, you know, Andy, when he's logged into the network, only has access and visibility to these resources. So if something were to happen to him, heaven forbid, that only these things can be infected and then it goes no further because then the malware can't impersonate Andy to uh, infect anything else. And 
I, I, I don't know, Tom, it's a good concept. I, zero trust, though, the thing that, that people need to understand is it's a journey. It's not a thing. It's not an endpoint. It's not a, a tool, right? So it, it's a concept at best. And it's really hard to implement in the, the right ways, right? So I think, you know, I, I tend not to, to oversell a concept like that because I, I think for most organizations to effectively implement it is not realistic. Okay. Yeah, and really, like zero trust, it's it's a fancy brand name um, for a concept that's been around forever, which is largely what could possibly go wrong. The problem with the like reality, generally, not just computers, is that there's usually only like a handful of ways to do the right do things the right way. There's an infinite number of ways to get it wrong. So doing that, you know, what could possibly go wrong, and then trying to put in place controls to deal with them all, it's hard work. There's a lot of it. And, you know, as we mentioned before, it's not glamorous to do hard work. Maybe it should be. Maybe leaders need to reward the people who are doing the hard work that isn't that sort of headline-grabbing brand-new stuff but is fundamental for protecting and keeping everybody safe. Maybe we need to start protecting the people who wash their hands. And and I think that that's actually something that that we've almost created in, in our own uh, image as a problem, Justin. Um, we talked about it earlier where, you know, we, we're not leading appropriately. We're not, um, we created this problem because we've, in, we've enabled these things. Well, I would argue that in the security space, one of the biggest problems that we've had over the years is that we've made things like something as simple as like a credential vault seem pedestrian. Like, I, I don't, I don't care if you have, uh, you know, a, a vault that you keep your password in, but let me tell you about this really cool thing that you can install in your network that will automatically monitor all of the connections. And if someone does something even the least bit ridiculous, that it'll immediately alert everyone about what's going on. And suddenly you're forced into this tool-based solution set where the answer to all of my problems is not education. It's not training. It's not awareness. It's go buy one more thing because that one more thing will be the thing that saves you. Well, you and forgot that's the been, passwords, right? The AI like, and ML. <laughs> or, or SIM, SOAR, XDR, you name it. I've heard it all in the last six months. In fact, I even heard a buzzword uh, presentation talking about how this new buzzword is already over because we we're on to the next thing, and I didn't even know the thing before had arrived yet. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's an interesting problem that you, you we wrap ourselves into because by the time we've gotten to the point where we can educate people about something that's going on, it's already moved on. So is, uh, should we kind of avoid this uh, buy another tool to fix the big problem kind of mentality? Should we do what we've been telling our IT engineers for years, learn the basics and learn what's important and build from there? Well, as the guy who has to justify those those big spends, you're talking about an opportunity cost problem. You know, we should we reward the people who are washing their hands? Absolutely. Can we show the value of what happens from washing our hands? Well, it's an opportunity cost, so it becomes a harder thing to 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 sell. Whereas if I can go, hey, here's this nifty whiz bang widget. And it's going to solve all our problems, and it's a great panacea. That's an easier sell. So, to your question of did we self-invent this? Kind of. I think that's fair, and I I kind of want to toss this question to Andy because 
you work for a company that sells solutions. Now, obviously, Pure Storage is not a company that has historically been very closely associated with the cybersecurity realm, although I feel like you have a lot of value that you can bring to the conversation. How do you square this by saying, oh, hey, by the way, we happen to sell products that do this thing that you really need to do, but before you even think about implementing it, we need to talk about all the other things that you could be doing to fix the problem. Yeah, I mean, look, that's how I generally approach it. It's here are the things that you need to do to fix the problem, right? So coming from a, a security background, 23 plus years, having been a CISO, you know, multiple times and having done all this stuff, right? I I take a slightly different view. But what I'll tell you is that it, you know, different vendors approach the problem in different ways, right? We don't approach the problem from a silver bullet perspective, trying to misinform uh, you know, others that hey, buy this and we're going to solve world peace, right? In fact, we do the opposite. What I would argue is, you know, our products make the solutions that you already have better. And that's our goal, right? So we tend to structure things in terms of before, during, and after an attack. Oddly enough, pure storage, you know, even with the storage in the name, we have security platforms that actually make each of those vectors stronger, better, and, and really enable and empower security teams to be more effective in doing their jobs across each of those vectors. So what I would tell you is don't you don't necessarily need to go after the most cutting edge of vendors to find the latest AI ML tool that can supposedly detect ransomware because that's nonsense and it's a lie, right? If it wasn't everybody would have it. Instead, you know, look at those hygiene problems that you have. Make sure that you've got a resiliency infrastructure in place so you can recover if you have an event. Find ways of starting to empower your cyber threat hunters to be more effective in their, their job using the tools they already have, right? That's the view that, that most organizations need to start taking is use what you've got already on the shelf, make it better, and then start looking for additional things if you have the time and money. And an important point that I kind of want to let Justin elaborate on here is this idea behind policy and, and things like that. because. You know, as Scott said, you, you've absolutely got to get yourself away from this tool based idea of of doing things. And then as Andy elaborated on that, you have to do the right things, you have to do the, the, the easy things before you can ever implement the tools to fix the other problems. But Justin, one of the things that I know from my work in the years past is the words security policy are almost like military intelligence. They're they're kind of an oxymoron, because when you look in an organization, you know, people don't have a security policy. Like you, you, you've may it's maybe apocryphal at this point, but you this idea of oh crap, we just got hit by something like Nimda. What do we do? And there's a lot of shrugging shoulders because no one ever thinks they're going to get hit by this. And we've seen it with security. We've seen it with backup and recovery policies. We've seen it with all kinds of disaster-related issues. What are some easy things in your mind that people can do to kind of put a policy in place now if they don't already have one or they kind of have the basic outline of one to maybe kickstart this process so that they're not left out in the cold if something were to happen? Yeah, well, I suppose it uh, it varies. And it, it's actually something that can be done by everybody in an organization. It's, so yes, this kind of program should be driven by the from the top, but it can be done by everybody just in your day to day. Start looking at your stuff and go, what could possibly go wrong? Um, we do this in our own personal lives. Like, what happens if I forget my keys? What happens if I, you know, something, if I drop the thing and I leave it at home? You have spare keys. So look for those opportunities of, well, what are the things that could go wrong in my day? So what happens if I forget my phone? 
and I, I can't bring it with me. What happens if I lose my phone and someone who isn't me tries to get into my stuff? Um, what happens if so, my uh, co co-worker happens to be bribed by a foreign nation state and wants to start making off with data? Um, would I even know that Dave is evil now? Start thinking about how that works. But then from a leadership perspective, again, you need to start looking at, okay, what could possibly go wrong? And what investments have we already made? Did it work? So yes, you need to be looking for new opportunities that might be useful, but perhaps have a look at how successful those programs have been in the past. What has changed that in your organization that means buying this shiny new widget for $10 million is definitely going to work compared to the last three times that you spent $10 million and now have stuff sitting in a drawer? Maybe it'll be more cost effective to just tell everyone, use what you've already got for six months and then come back. And I will just say for the record that I knew Dave was evil the entire time because all people named Dave are evil and should be watched like a hawk. And if your name is Dave and you'd like to leave a comment on the video and let me know how evil you are, please confirm or deny that. Um, people named Scott, however, are not evil. Scott, what's one thing that you think that people should be looking at from regards to this, this easy thing to take care of, this policy pers perspective to maybe alleviate some of the... Um, reactive measures and maybe take a more proactive approach? It's very similar to what Justin was just laying out. Um, know yourself. You have to know what your systems do, what the data is that they consume. And then these all feed up into some of the higher level things that we're talking about. So you really have to, you have to get the mirror out. You got to take a look and, and, you know, acknowledge the warts if you're going to make them a little bit better. So, you know, we, we say these are easy hygiene things, but you still have to do it. All right, Andy, you come from a slightly different perspective, of course, being a part of Pure. What are some of the things that you guys at Pure are doing to kind of help combat these issues? I know that you said earlier that you're you're kind of educating the users and saying, here are the things you need to do no matter what, even if you buy our solution or not. But obviously, there are platforms that you offer that can allow people to kind of move down this process a little easier to help them understand how they can improve their proactive security posture to make it a little bit easier on everyone. Yeah, so we um, we have a couple of security platforms, one called Flash Array, one called Flash Blade. And within those security platforms, we can do a couple of things. One, uh, we can leverage them to make logging environments extremely fast. Like we can get the fastest analytics out there today. So where you're running Splunk or Elastic, we can make those platforms way more effective for your threat hunters, you know, so you can identify threats in the environment before hopefully the breakout occurs. You know, the second is we have a really cool uh, you know, feature in our, all of our platforms called safe mode. And safe mode makes it so that even someone or some process with administrative credentials in your environment can't fully delete your data from a pure array. Really unique. We're the only ones in the industry that have this capability. And it gives you a, a great way to recover quickly when you have an event occur. And then the last thing is, you know, we're, we're working with a lot of our, our protect, data protection partners, the backup vendors in a lot of cases, like a Commvault and Cohesity, to co-build products that give you the fastest recoverability on the market today. So again, I'm looking at this from the perspective of we're not going to stop an event. But when the event occurs, how do we get your business back up and running as fast as possible? And we've, pr we've got proven integrations that can restore into the petabytes of data per day, 
which is hundreds of times faster than most of the existing solutions on the market. So, you know, basically our focus is help you get your data back very quickly. On the proactive side, provide that ability to very quickly run analytics so that your threat hunters are more effective, but really bringing all the pieces together so that you have a comprehensive kind of end-to-end -end security platform that you can work from. Well, as you can tell, the old way of thinking about security is, well, gone. It's in the past, much like the Model T or or the first airplane, if you will. Um, we we have to think about things a little bit differently. We live in a digital age. We live in an era where um, bad actors are much more organized than they were in the past and much better at getting the things that they're looking for. And instead of just responding whenever they pop up, you need to start taking a more proactive approach. You need to start building policy that supports technology to uncover threats before they happen, but more importantly, to limit the amount of work you're going to have to do to respond to them if they do occur. Because if you're always on the defensive and you're always reacting to things, if you're always fighting the fires, you're never going to ever get a break to maybe enjoy what a world looks like without a lot of flammable things in it. And if you can remove a little bit of that flammable material, maybe, just maybe, you can play more of a fire marshal than a firefighter. I'd like to thank Pure Storage for sponsoring this podcast. And Andy, if people want to learn a little bit more about some of your thoughts, but also some of the things that Pure Storage is helping to do in the security space, where's a good place for them to find that information? Yeah, please check out uh, my blog site at purestorage.com slash blog slash cybersecurity or email direct me directly at stone at purestorage.com. All right. Well, thank you very much to Andy and the team from Pure Storage, as well as our guests for being a part of this episode. Remember that you can always find the latest episode of our podcast if you head over to our website, gestaltit.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to us in your favorite podcast application of choice, and you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please leave us a rating and a review. People really do read those reviews to find out if this is something they'd like to be listening to, and uh, we enjoy getting new listeners. Also, don't forget to leave a comment on this video and tell us what you thought of the topic, uh, the premise, if you will. And uh, maybe if you have another idea for something you'd like to hear us talk about here on the On-Premise IT Roundtable, we'd love to do that in the future. Remember that you can also tweet us. We're at Gestalt IT and also at On-Premise IT on Twitter. Make sure you follow us and we'll let you know when the latest episode of the podcast is premiering. For now, for Tom Hollingsworth, for our guests, and from our friends at Pure Storage, thank you very much for being a part of this episode, and we look forward to seeing you next time.